Well, it was 28 years ago this Friday night that uh, I was in Austin, Texas at the Texas Relays. I'd love to say I was going to be running in the Texas Relays, but I wasn't. I was, I was there as an alternate on our 4x800 team. Uh, our 4x800 team was one of the best in the country, and we went to Texas Relays not to win. That was not our goal. Winning was kind of a given. Our goal was to post a national best time. Our, our, our goal was to make uh, high school All-American. Now, like I said, I was an alternate. There was three positions that were set, and it was kind of a battle between myself and a, and a senior. I was a junior at, at who was going to get this fourth position. And uh, so we came down to a practice, and the coach put us in a time trial, and I lost. It was crushing. I, I'm, I'm over it. Mostly. And uh, Joe Don Mooney beat me out, went on to, to be on that team, that 4x800 team. And so 28 years ago, this Friday night, the gun went off and our first leg ran. Uh, that was uh, Joe Don who beat me out. He ran the first leg, ran exactly what was expected and what was anticipated from him. He handed it off to Scott. Scott also ran the leg that we were anticipating, expecting. And as Scott brought the stick in, the baton in, he handed it off to uh, Alan. Alan took the stick. Alan was a senior. He'd run the relays hundreds of times. He'd held that baton hundreds of times. But as he rounded that first corner, his arm came back and, and the baton hit his leg. And it went flying out of his hand off the track. I mean, and this is a nighttime race. I mean, it, we're under lights. And so as it goes off the track, it goes into the darkness. And by the time he realizes what has happened, he actually has to turn around and run backwards to find the stick that is off the track. He picks it up. He gets back in the race. He's not disqualified. That's in the handing of a baton that you can be disqualified. But you just drop it. You can pick it up. He grabs it up and he gets back into the race. And actually by the time the 800 is over, he's back up near the end of the pack. He hands it to Philip Franshaw, who runs a, a stellar 151 half mile, and they bring the team home to victory. They won! But that wasn't the goal. Winning, winning wasn't the goal. And this was, this was the Texas Relays. This was actually bigger for us than our own state meet. This is the third largest high school meet in the nation. This was their one single great chance to be a high school All-American. One guy makes a mistake. Four guys miss the opportunity to be a high school All-American. You know, I think one of the great opportunities young people have, kids and children have coming up, is to play team sports and learn that, that very valuable lesson, lesson that you win as a team and you lose as a team. Because that's a very real lesson that all of us experience in life. You can play your part. You, you can do what you're supposed to do. You can do it great. You can be the very best at playing your part. Only to be relegated to stand by and watch the team lose because of somebody else. Sometimes it's just a mistake. Sometimes they just kind of missed it. Other times people can almost, I don't know what quite the right word is, they aggressively don't play their part. They almost intentionally miss. This is very real. We deal with it everywhere in life. Now it's frustrating. It's a disappointment if we're talking about the big game. 
if we're talking about an important race. But it's quite another thing when we're talking about the game of marriage. It's quite another thing when we're talking about the game of family and you're doing your part, you're playing your part, you're, you're trying to strive to be what God has called you to be and do, but somebody else on the team isn't. Somebody else on the team isn't going to play their role. You know, since January, we've been in a family series. Today kind of concludes it here. And, and, and as you go through a family and a marriage series, if you're in a relationship like that, man, this can be a gut-wrenching time. I mean, you come in here each week and you hear about what God has designed and what God intended, and it's what you want. I mean, it's what you're praying for. It's what you're working towards. But then you leave here and you feel like, ah, what difference does it make? I can't have that. We can't have that because when I go home, there's somebody there that's not going to be doing that. And that's, that's a whole nother level of frustration. Now, the relationship I'm talking about today can be in a marriage. One mate is seeking to walk with God, seeking to play that role. One isn't. It, it, could, be, uh, it could be some of our youth. Man, they're over here, they're walking with God, they're desiring God, they're wanting to grow in their relationship, and, and maybe they go home to a parent or parents who could care less, who are not supportive, who are not encouraging in that. It might be with a, a parent with a child. Now, through this, through this sermon today, when I talk about parents and children, I'm not talking about small children. When small children don't play their role on the team, we can make them play their role on the team. There's very clear instruction from the Lord on how we do that. But I'm talking more about the moving into the late teens and the adult child where we begin to have less and less ability to actually make something happen. What do we do in these relationships? You know, I think one of the most often asked questions I get during a marriage or a family series is, you know, I'm all for that, I want that, but what do I do when, when they... When that person, when that individual isn't going to play their role. Well, it's kind of the good news and the bad news. The good news is I have a very simple, direct, absolutely works answer for you. The bad news is it's hard to do. It's hard to live. But let's see what that very simple and direct answer is. I want us to look at, at two passages to do this, to see how God guides us in this. First passage, Colossians chapter 3. You can turn to it in your Bible, or you can look right up here on the screen. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do as a wife, whatever you do as a husband, whatever you do as a child, as a parent, whatever you do in a work relationship, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, comes at the end of a series of commands about what a husband is to be for a wife, what a wife is to be for a husband, what children are to do for their parents, what parents are to do for their children. It gets into the work relationships, what a boss is to be for his employees, what employees are to be for their employers. So you got all of these relationships in the back half of, of Colossians chapter 3. And as it concludes, this is the command, this is the challenge that God concludes with. After you've just heard all these relational commands, He says, whatever you do in that relationship, do your work enthusiastically. As something done for the Lord, not for your wife, 
Not for your husband, not for your children, not for your parents. You've done this for the Lord, and it will be He that rewards you. You serve. When you go into that relationship, when you go into that situation, you go into it to serve the Lord. Folks, the first direction we have in these difficult relationships is to remember who we're serving. You see, God acknowledges after He gives all of these commands about all these relationships, you may enter a relationship where you're not going to be appreciated for doing that. You're not going to be applauded for doing that. Your motivation is going to suffer. They're not worth it. They're not changing. They're not doing it for you. And God says before you even get there, hey, you're not serving them, you're serving me. And I promise I will reward you. So as we go to apply these relationships, as we go to apply these commands to a, to a marriage, to a family situation with kids, we realize our primary motive is the Lord. That's what I'm focused on. He is why I'm doing this. My motive, your motive, is not, is not happiness. It's not love. It's not that that person would change. Now, I didn't say those are bad motives. I didn't say those are wrong motives. As a matter of fact, every one of those is a very natural expectation, something we want, something we're going to pray for. But I said our primary motive. Because you see, if my motive is my marriage, sometimes my marriage is very inspiring for me to be and to do what the Lord wants me to be and do, and sometimes it's not. Well, I don't want my obedience with God to be based on whether somebody else is inspiring me or not. And so God says that what's right in front of you is not that relationship, it's the Lord. He's your primary motive. And the promise is, there's no promise in what happens when you serve somebody else. Now, I think serving somebody else greatly increases the odd of the relationship that you want, but there's still no promise. The promise comes when the Lord is your primary motive, He will reward. So the, the first principle we get in struggling through and dealing with how do I do what I'm supposed to do when they're not, our first principle is keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Him. Second principle that we'll attach to this comes from Proverbs chapter 4. Let your eyes look forward. Don't look around at what's happening or not happening around you. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path God has marked out for you as a wife. Carefully consider the path God has marked out for you as a husband. Carefully consider the path God has marked out for you as a parent. Carefully consider the path God has marked out for you as a child. And all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. There's great temptation in that. I mean, why obey? They're not. Why obey? It's not changing anything. And it becomes real tempting to step off the path. Don't. Don't look to the right or the left. Don't take a step to the right or the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Folks, God has marked out a path for you and the path is good. The path is good when everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. And the path is good when they're not doing what they're supposed to do. The path is good. Stay focused. Stay committed to what God has called you to be and to do. So the question is, how do I do this? 
I, I, I want this to be a certain kind of relationship. I'm praying. How do I do this when they're not doing what they're supposed to do? Very simple. You keep your eyes on Christ. And you keep your eyes on the path. That's the answer. There's not a different answer. You may look for one more exciting. You may look for more points. Certainly there's got to be more. I, I think I've tried to do that. No, that's the answer. That's all we need to do. Now, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to do that. It's hard to keep our eyes on Christ. It's hard to stay focused on the path. I want to give, uh, I want to give you some suggestions on how we do that. These suggestions come from Ed Wheat's book, Love Life for Every Married Couple. It's a book I've talked about a couple of times, and it's a, I've kind of changed the list some. The, the list he made is just for husbands and wives. I've made it a little bit more generic than that so that it would apply to all relationships, and I, I threw some of his out and put some of mine in. But it's mostly his list, Ed Wheat's list. I want to look at suggestions. Now remember, what, when we look at this list of suggestions, what is it we're trying to do? We're trying to ma- remain faithful to what God's called us to be and do in the home. We're trying to keep our eyes on Christ. We're trying to keep our eyes on the path when we're not going to be encouraged. We're not going to be aided in doing that. These are suggestions on how to keep on doing that. Let's look at these. Number one, reaffirm your own commitment to what God has called you to be. Now, folks, that might kind of sound like simple. That's huge. And you know what? If you're in the heat of it, that may be actually a daily thing that you have to do. Or you say, God, I'm waking up this morning. I'm heading into this relationship. I'm heading into this situation. God, I am committed. And please be my strength. Please be my wisdom. I am committed to be what you've called me to be and do in that relationship. It is a daily commitment, a daily reminder. Hey, this 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 counts. I can't be tempted. I can't be lured off. I've got to, remember what said? I've got to consider the path. Well, considering the path starts with committing to it. Number two, when they are not meeting your needs. You know, folks, God gives us relationships. All these things we've looked at the last couple of months and and God's design and intention is to meet needs in our life. Well, when they, whoever they are, are not doing what they're supposed to do, you're probably not getting some needs met in your life. That's a very appropriate place to say, hey, God, you gave this relationship to meet needs. It's not. So I'm looking to you. You meet those needs. This relationship is not going to do it. I need you to meet these needs in my life. Yield those needs. Commit those needs to him. You also might also realize if you're not getting needs met, you're probably hurting. You're probably suffering. You know what? Put a little bit different spin on that suffering. Give it as a gift to God. He suffered for you, didn't he? And there was never a point where he said, you know what, you're just not worth it. You know what, you're not changing enough. You're not changing fast enough. He never quit. He suffered all the way to the cross and through the cross for you. So when you and I, because we're seeking to follow him, trust him, live his way, when we suffer for that, say, look at that, Lord, this is my opportunity to suffer for you. I give it as a gift to you. Number three, give them, that person, that relationship, give them what the Lord has called you to give. You know, I preached a sermon one time, it's been several years ago, and I don't remember what the title was, but it had something to do with where's the if. You know, it doesn't ever say love them if. Submit to them if. Honor them if. Pray for them if. There's no if. You see that? We're looking for the if. I'll pray for them if they're going to change. 
I'll do what I'm supposed to do if they're going to do what they're supposed to do. I'll forgive them if, if they're sorry. I'll forgive them if they're going to... But there's no if. You see, folks, God's commands are not based on the deservedness of those around you. God's commands are not based on what those around you are doing. Do you realize if they were, you and I would probably be able to wiggle out of about every command in Scripture? We'd find, well, you know, but they, they didn't or the situation didn't, so I don't. Folks, God has called you to give something. And of course, if you look at the context of what we're talking about this morning, it's with a person, it's with a relationship that's not giving that back to you. You still give them what God has called you to give in that role. Number four, it's not your job to change them, but to love them. You know, it's amazing. Most of us, no, all of us think we're professionals at changing people. Experts, really. Boy, we lie to ourselves, don't we? You can't change anybody. Think about how hard a time you have changing yourself. But all of a sudden, you think you're an expert on changing others. You know, a lot of us, when we took our marriage vows, we, we, we did say, I do. I do promise to begin changing them at the end of the aisle. I do promise to make them everything I want them to be. I do promise to make them like me. Because you know what? About the time we hit that door, that's about the time we start working on changing our mates. You know what? You're, you're not. You're really actually pretty horrible at it. In most cases, your attempt to change people makes things worse. Leave the changing business to God. Does that make sense? Can we do that? All right. I didn't hear much agreement, but I trust. <laughs> Number five, walk with the Lord. Folks, that, that's kind of the center of everything we're talking about. You know, if you go back to everything we've talked about, not just in this sermon, everything we've gone back to talking about since January, you can't do it. You, you can't love them without the if. You can't honor them without the if. You can't forgive them without the if unless you are growing in Christ. He's going to be your strength, your motive, your wisdom. He's going to be your ability to do that. You've got to be in His Word. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be in His house. Worshiping, ministering, growing with other believers. This is the recipe. This is the formula for being in a growing relationship with Christ. If you're not in that relationship, you'll quit. Whatever it is we've been talking about, whatever it is you would desire, whatever it is in this, in this message, you can give a good running effort, but you're going to quit. It's impossible. You can't do it in your power. God hasn't commanded something that can be done in our power and wisdom. It takes His power and His wisdom. You've got to be growing with Him. Number six, keep a very small circle of who you will discuss this with. You know, it's amazing. We get one bad relationship, and we think that means I've got to go to all the other good relationships I have, and that's all I talk about is the bad relationship. You know, folks, when we're talking a bad about somebody, and we may be right, it may be true, uh, it may be genuine. You may close by saying, and we'll pray for them. Yeah. Um, you know, you're dishonoring that person. I'm not saying they don't deserve it. I'm not saying they don't have it coming. But you're dishonoring them. That's not going to be how things ultimately get better. That, that's not the process, the path that God says, that's what I'm going to get behind and work. 
Now, I'm not saying we don't need to talk with somebody. I'm saying keep it small. And if it is a marriage problem, let me make a couple of suggestions. Always someone of the same sex. Okay, I promise you God's plan is not to work through somebody of the opposite sex with you and your marriage problems. That's not going to be God's form of encouragement. I've been in ministry 20 years and I've never seen that work. I have quite often seen it make things much, much worse. Same sex. Always, or never, with parents. Now, never might be a strong word. I'm not saying mom and dad can't be a little bit of help there. But here again, folks, I'm saying this out of 20 years of ministry. For some reason, us moms and dads, when it comes to watching our kids hurt, we kind of, the wires get crossed and messed up and we get kind of nuts. I have seen godly parents really give very unbiblical advice and unbiblical help when they're watching their child in a marriage that's going bad. I have been amazed in 20 years of marriage how absolutely rarely I've seen godly parents be a help in the midst of a divorce. I mean, they're good people. They're godly parents. I'm not challenging that. I know they are. I know them. And then I hear what they're telling their children, what they're directing their child, what they're aiding and helping their child to do. And it's not what God would have. I don't know that mom and dad are really wired for that. Again, never may be too strong of a word, but you know, another thing to consider here is you and your mate may actually reconcile. You may actually get things better. But that was a process you and your mate went through. Mom and dad didn't get to go through that process. And so now here you and your mate are okay and mom and dad aren't anymore. And they can, be a, they can continue to still be a discouragement when you and your mate are finally on the same path. So be careful. Also, never talk with your children. Never. Remember, we all got a path. Guess what? The children have a path also. And the path God has for them is to honor their parents. That's, that's going to be their path of blessing. And if we've got one parent bashing the other parent, you're putting your child at, at a real weak disposition to be able to honor the parent getting bashed. So don't work through those marriage difficulties with a child. Again, even an adult child. I'm referring to your child. I don't just mean three and under. I'm talking about children. Don't do that. Okay, keep a small circle. Number seven, ask God to show you where you can change. Now, folks, I, I have rarely seen a situation where a relationship is 100% the problem of the other person. We've all got something we can work at. And, 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 you know, clearly you're trying to walk with God and clearly the other person is not. I mean, it's mostly their fault. It's 95% their fault. Okay, good. 95% them. You focus on the five. I mean, after all, what, what did we say? We can't change people. All I have to work on is what I can do. God, guard my attitudes. God, guard my mind. I mean, folks, if we're going through this, we're weak. We're getting worn out. We're getting tired at trying to be and do. Because remember, the relationship isn't encouraging us. The relationship isn't inspiring us. So that means we can get attitudes and those attitudes usually come out in behaviors. Focus on that. Number eight and nine. Now, number eight and nine actually could be one point. You might think to mention one, it automatically implies the other. I think this is so important. It actually 
you need to mention both sides. And folks, this is not just true for relationships. This is true for living the entire Christian life. Okay? Spend time with people who will encourage you in what God has called you to do. Man, I need people who are going to cry with me. I need people who are going to let me kind of whine and gripe and go on and on and on. You know, bellyache a little bit. I need people who are going to understand and be sympathetic. But I also need that person at some point to get up and say, okay, now it's time to stop. Now let's let's pray about your role and let's get you back in there. Let's get you back being and doing what God's called you to be and do. You need a person who's not only compassionate, but also challenging. You don't need to spend time with people who will encourage the opposite. Do you know that probably for most of us in here, just by the fact we live in the world, we go to school, we go to work, we've got neighbors, most of us in here have more people in our lives that will encourage us to walk away from what Scripture's calling us to do than we do people who will encourage us in that. As a matter of fact, this is kind of tough to say, being a Christian doesn't always mean they're number eight. There's plenty of Christians who, because of their own sin, who, because of their immaturity, can be a number nine. There's plenty of Christians who will, who will cry with you, moan with you, groan with you, grab you by the hand, and take you right off the path God has for you. I mean, you've really got to pray for discernment about some of the influences you surround your life with, especially when you start talking to them and, and expecting kind of direction, encouragement, and counsel from. Folks, number eight and number nine is why we talk about Bible fellowship in our church all the time. I mean, you ever wonder why we talk about all that all the time? I mean, you, do you think we get something out of that if you go, we being the staff? You know, what, what did I say? We had 1393 in Bible fellowship last week. Do you, do you think I get something if we have 1493 today? I don't get a thing. It, it, it really doesn't change anything about the way I'm going to spend Sunday or the next week or anything else if we have 100 more in Bible fellowship today than we did last week. You know why we encourage Bible fellowship? Because of 8 and 9. Every person in this room, you've got an event coming in your life. Might be in three months, might not be for three years. It's going to be an accident, it's going to be a tragedy, it's going to be a job situation, a, a situation with a child, maybe a marital situation. You won't have any control over when it comes, you may never see it coming, but when it comes, you either have godly influence surrounding your life, you either have those relationships in place to have that impact, or you don't. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? You've either built those relationships or you have not. Most people, most believers are going to come up on that situation and they've not built those relationships. There's nobody there to give that counsel, that direction, that prayer, that support, that encouragement. That's why we're constantly pushing that. This room alone, being in this room alone will not accomplish that. I, I wish it would. I wish I could say, man, all you got to do is come in here and sit and it'll happen. It won't. It won't build those relationships. That's why we are constantly encouraging to take that next step and get into a Bible fellowship class. You know, if you're a member of our church and you have that event, you know, there may be a Bible fellowship class that'll bring you a meal, that'll write you a note of encouragement, but that won't be enough. 
You can't have that relationship overnight. That's why we're constantly encouraging be building people into your lives that are going to challenge you, encourage you, help you, pray with you to stay on this difficult path that we walk in this world as a follower of Christ. And certainly in these difficult relationships. Number 10, don't try to lecture them into what they should be. Y'all look like you don't quite understand that. I'm wondering how many of you have changed because your mom or dad finally gave you the right and appropriate and perfect lecture. Huh? If you'd have given that lecture three years ago. How many of you have changed because your mate gave the perfect lecture? We don't change by lectures. You've never changed by a lecture. Guess what? They're not going to either. Number 11, pray. We know what? We never stop doing that. We've got to constantly be praying God's wisdom, God's help. Number 12, clearly live your Christian life in front of them. Obviously, folks, you're in a relationship. You're in a situation where somebody's not living for Christ. Somebody's not living for or with Christ. Don't join them. Be the one who in that spot, in that relationship, is going to live with and for Christ. Don't stop doing that. Number 13, remember, love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never quits. That's the bottom line. It doesn't quit. Folks, I have said throughout this series, when you look at any of these things, God's asked a wife, a husband, a, a parent, a child to do, they're hard. They're difficult to do. You're going to want to quit. But you know what? Jesus never quit on you. And it wasn't because it was easy. And it wasn't because you and I were always worth it. Love doesn't quit. Jesus is not going to ask you to do something in a relationship, in a marriage, in your home that he's not done for you already. Folks, I tell you, I, you know, and some of it is hard to preach this sermon because I know some of y'all's situations. This is, not, this is not an easy sermon. And the reason I say that is because these words are incredibly easy to say. But man, they're sure difficult to live. It sure is hard to go out there and to do that. But I want you to think about it for a moment strategically. You have the path that God has called you to play. We've looked at this path for three months now. God has a path for you in the home. And the path is hard. The path is hard if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do in the home. And it gets really hard when somebody decides to step off that path. And when somebody steps off that path, we're tempted to step off that path. Why do we step off? We step off the path God has for us because I think if I come over here, it'll be easier. If I come over here, it'll finally be done. If, if I come over here, the pain will stop. If I come over here, I'll be happier. And you've got a lot of people surrounding you who will tell you that. And when you get over here on this path, you find out, well, gosh, this is just as hard. Oh God, this path is just as miserable. So folks, you're standing here, you got two paths. You got the path God's called you to, and you got a whole bunch of other paths that I'll just say are represented by one path. Both paths are hard. So guess what? The variable here is not an easy path. 
Both paths are hard. Which path has a reward at the end? Which path gives you the best opportunity at what you want in life? Now, that's very clear. One path. God's path. Yeah, but it's hard. So is that one. That one over there hurts as much, costs as much, and introduces a whole other level of problems. You're not running from problems. You're just choosing which set. Choose the set God rewards. Choose the set that gives you your best opportunity. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on the path He has for you. How do we do that? Man, we've got to have Christ in our lives. That's true for at the end of every sermon. And that's why we conclude every sermon, why we conclude every service with a time of invitation. Because there are people in this room who as you want what we've talked about as you go out here, you don't have Christ in your life. Well, we don't want to send you out of here to do the impossible. We want to give you that opportunity to have Christ come into your life. To follow Christ in baptism. Whatever God has for you, it's going to be a part. A faithful, committed part of a church family. A formal part. You don't want to be a part of the family that's out on the edge, barely a part. As a matter of fact, nobody even knows you. And that's the problem we have at home, isn't it? we got a family member way out on the edge. Well, you know what? It doesn't work in church either. Maybe you're here today and you know, I need to come into a relationship with Christ. If I'm going to live that path, find that path God has for me, I need to come into a relationship with Christ. I need to follow Him in baptism. I need to become a part of His family, the church. Folks, if those are decisions and commitments you need to make, this time and this moment is for you. Our congregation is going to stand and sing. And as they do, you just take a step. Come forward. Take a step of faith. Tell one of these pastors what you want to do. Let us help you and pray with you in this time of decision. You come.